By day, Mikey Palladino has a regular job, a wife and two kids, but during his lunch breaks, he's working to finish the second issue of his comic book, M.I.A., where Oakley Mason returns from military service to find his hometown taken over by drugs and corruption. Mikey's also interviewing other comic creators for his website, projectunknowncomics.com, with the goal of learning as much as he can from other people pursuing their dreams. In this episode, we discuss Weapon X by Barry Windsor Smith. Released in 1991, it told the secret origin of the X-Men's Wolverine, how he was kidnapped by a secret government program where they added adamantium to his skeleton and pretty much all got killed because he went crazy after being treated like an animal. We also discuss home movies he made as a kid and making your own dreams a reality. I'm your old pal Slim, and maybe I'm going to change the name of the podcast next season. You have the single issues? I do, I but I didn't use those to read. I kind of just use them to page through just to see the coloring differences because I was, yeah. as I'm sure you were, you were Googling Barry Windsor Smith interviews, WebEx, <laughs> <laughs> where is Barry Windsor Smith? <laughs> but, but his website is so interesting. Have you? I'm guessing you went on his website too. I've gone on just to see what he's been doing because right. he's a ghost. He's like a recluse now, I guess. I think he's a true artist, I think. I mean, he um there's a section on his website about Weapon X <laughs> where he's like pissed um about the reproduction color work in the collection. Um uh, because of the way he specifically picked the color palette for newsprint. Interesting. Uh, he, I was going to say I, I reread it again a couple times on Comicsology and like fell in love with it again all over again just because the colors and how they were popping. Yeah, I and, think the, the yeah the trade coloring is fine. I think it's like yeah. the main thing I know. You have the trade that I grew up with too. This is yeah. this is the thing. The weirdest thing about it was <laughs> Marvel Comics presents this. This was this format that this came out in number seventy two to eighty four, and it was these comics were like two in ones. I guess you flip them yeah. over, and there was another comic. It's like four. It might have been four in ones. Some of them were yeah, and um. Super low key. I think like the first issue was like eight or ten pages, and they were like twelve comics that just told the story, and they were different page lengths. They were all over the place, and it was super. Like it felt like Barry, do whatever you want, and we don't care. Do whatever you want. Tell your story. It's so crazy that I'm thirty five, and I think like going into the single issues today for the first time, I, it might've been the first time I did it. It was like unreadable. I don't know how people read it because it's only like 10 pages a month or however often this book came out at the time. It's so crazy that like, I don't know. I can't picture this, this book existing as it does, you know, originally created. Like, can you imagine waiting a month for 10 pages of weapon X and then, and then, like I, I, I looked through the first issue and I paged through it. I'm like, oh my God, I have to undo a plastic container to get to the next issue to look at the original <laughs> coloring. I was like, this sucks. Yeah, maybe because it's collected now, but I had the opposite feeling almost. Like I'm like, this is genius. If you want to tell a quick <laughs> two stories, they should do this now. And that's why I, I said, that's what I'm saying. Like Marvel Comics Presents, why would they tell it like in this format? Like the 10 yeah. pages and a flip over comic. And exactly what we said, you have to wait another month for the next 10 pages. Yeah, such a different world. I, and I always wonder why they don't, 
do i think they're bringing something similar back soon but like i wonder Hmm. why they don't bring back a marvel comics presents where they just put in those oddball stories in there and i'm guessing they did that with like three different stories just to try to get three different kinds of readers Hmm. um to buy it like maybe nobody was interested in wolverine but maybe they were interested in the daredevil and shauna story or whatever strange mini story was running in those issues part of me makes me wonder too they had like that bullpen of artists and writers. And I wonder if they were like, we got to give them something and we Mm -hmm. like, let's just give them work. And this, this, I've scoured the internet for something that says like how this comic came to be or when they reprinted another trade, like some extra pages, just because it does baffle you. Like, how did this, did he present this to like Jim shooter or whoever, Bob Harris, whoever was in charge then? And said, "Let me do this comic." Or did they give this to him? We want to tell Wolverine's origin, and like, yeah, because there's there's no other like comparative at Marvel where they gave it to some stud creator, <laughs> and he or she just did the whole thing. It just wasn't yeah. a, wasn't done with her one one of the most popular characters too. I think yeah. at the time, I mean, yeah. and the super or secret origin. We're gonna just tell, like, slip it out there. I think they, that's what. I they love haven't even done that too. today. Like, there's no, they yeah. wouldn't, I mean, maybe, um, what's his face doing the X-Men Genesis, um, Ed Pisker is kind of like the closest oh. thing you can think of in modern day. Yeah, um, that's true. That's a good it's, point. Yeah, it's very, very strange. So wait, how old were you on that vacation when you got the trade? I was 14 and then it became like, it became like the, this was always like the comic that I'm going to take with me on every single vacation because, <laughs> I mean, back before God Bless You Comicsology, where you could take your whole comic collection with you, I'm be damned if I'm going to get stuck on a family vacation for a week with whatever else I was reading at the time, like Medieval Spawn and Witchblade. Like, no offense <laughs> to those people, but there was a lot of one and done comics back then. And this was the one. This became my uh, comic throughout the years where like a reset i think i even you even actually said it once on on the show where you said like if you're reading something and it's you're kind of getting burnt out on comics or it feels Mm -hmm. like a grind put it down and read something you like and this became like that reset for me i think this is a book that always was the one that um just to dive into like something cozy and to to bring you back to that those feelings again of why you love comics even like paging through just the start of the book, like you mentioned earlier, him kind of just having a soliloquy with himself about how weird everything is and how the end is coming and how this drunk bum said it to him. And he's just at the shooting range. And then you see what I didn't like, honestly, I don't even remember at the forefront was professor putting the team together while this was mm. all happening. And I honestly didn't even realize on all the reads that Cornelius was like this, um, doctor who essentially is like losing his license because he was like mercy killing people or like things were going wrong he was oh, yeah. like looking at the news articles of himself yep. while drinking I didn't, I didn't even catch that before i don't even know how i didn't even catch that that's why i love it too there's so much story in like one panel you can get and i'm still exactly what we said finding new things that i didn't catch the first time like even on this read for the show i never thought of this before but there's a scene where he put into the woods and he has uh, like honey on him or something. And they were going to release these wolves just to attack him, just to see what he can do. Now he's got these claws. He's adamantium. Let's see what he can do. And he doesn't move at all. And the wolves kind of like take a piece out of him for a couple of minutes, let's say. And mm-hmm. I always just saw that 
whenever I read in the past, it was always like he his like brain wasn't working at the time or something like that. But this time I thought maybe this was him like looking for a way out. Like maybe this isn't, this is the first chance they put him in danger. He's like, maybe I'll just let these wolves kill me because I've been through so much. And because of the beginning where he kind of was suicidal and he, I thought maybe this was his way out. And then something kicks in and he ends up killing all the wolves. Of course. There's this, there's a line that I wrote down too, where they professor, one doesn't want to bring him in after that battle with the dogs and he leaves him out there and he says, I like the idea of him resting in his own gore. What a creep and, professor. And in that scene too, I love it. This was the first, I guess like uh, you hear it now, but like the pacing of comics where it will be, I think there were like three or two silent scenes of him just like looking up silent in like mm-hmm. unconscious and with the wolves. And there's that one shot of the wolf looking up also. I mean, the book starts out with, Logan pre claws. Um, this is pre kind of like all backstory ever. And he gets kidnapped and thrown into this experiment. And one of the things that re- reminded me of uh, when I first read it was Wolverine at the shooting range. And I don't know, I think I told the story before, but he reminded me of like Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon, just the way mm. he looked in, in the shooting range. And cool. I can't remember if I told the story or not, but when I was a kid, I wrote a letter to Lucasfilm with no my dream X-Men cast and shut up I lo- they ended up sending a letter back saying the usual like we can't accept yada yada and it was from Lucasfilm letterhead I lost the letter I don't have it anymore <laughs> I'll have to ask my parents oh, but they still have it but I had um, they have that Mel yearbook Gip- picture but they don't have this picture <laughs> but I do have the yearbook picture of my my uh, potato head um <laughs> I wrote Mel Gibson as Wolverine. I wrote um, Patrick Swayze as Cyclops. And mm-hmm. I wrote um, Patrick Stewart as Professor X, believe it or not. Nice. When I was, when I was like I was like nine or ten or something. Was that before so, like the oh, wizard yeah, for sure. Oh, my God. Yeah. Man. That's amazing. Wish I still had that letter. Yeah, doesn't count unless you show that, but no, that's it's pretty a, cool story. It's, a ma- it's just a made-up story at this point. <laughs> but I, re- I loved the styling of Wolverine, kind of clean cut. He had his hair, but it's like shorter, and it plays a role later in the book where they're really messing with his body, and his, his mane of hair comes out, and <laughs> Barry Windsor Smith drawing Wolverine's mane of hair. I mean, it doesn't really get any better than that in this entire book. It's so amazing, and... And what also kicked in um, my memories of watching the X-Men animated series version of this, mm. and which I actually pulled up right before we recorded. And the episode is called Weapon X, Lies, and Videotape. Wow. <laughs> which I thought was like a crazy like reference. Like, would kids get that reference? Wow. Um, I but because I, I remember the professor... Is it Nothing serious. Then begin the adamantium feed. Feed initiated. Steady. Cardio attack higher than expected. Extraordinary. We hope to make use of your gift. But yeah, just a just a fun memory walk down memory lane of the animated series, which obviously is a huge part of um, probably both of our X Men Wolverine childhoods. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the feed part there's so much dialogue in there but you don't ever get lost on who's talking really i mean comics today i think they kind of sometimes have a symbol over who's talking if you don't see them 
but he's a lot of it in the beginning when he's getting the adamantium injections you just hear you just read dialogue and for some reason you never get lost at who's talking or or what it is yeah he made small like choices where the professor was always a certain color background and the professor was also a certain color background when he was talking to the mysterious benefactor the mysterious like boss of the whole project um and the relationship between professor who was running the experiment uh cornelius the doc the the disgraced doctor and heinz the kind of like assistant ish female character their relationship interplay was so thick with personality i love how in the beginning there was like a prestige and they all respected him and really like towards the middle of it <laughs> they almost like I think there's a scene when he he's like, listen, man, whatever. Like, you got what you want. Here, just play around with him or something for a while. Like, mm-hmm. he, they're sick of him at that point. They lost all respect for him, like, halfway through it. And you're right. It just comes out in dialogue. The other thing you kind of notice is, like, Heinz and Cornelius, if you read a certain way, you kind of get in touch with their, I guess, like, not romance, but they have, like, an interest oh, in like each a, other. There's, like, a respect, I think, between those two that they don't have for the professor. Yeah. And there, there was one of my favorite scenes is Professor, who I sh- should just like call out right away. I th- always thought it was odd that the main villain in this book is called the Professor and he looks like Professor X, but he's wearing yeah. glasses. Like, I don't know, <laughs> like Barry Windsor Smith, what were you thinking? Well, I thought uh, it was amazing because I think it's sort of like when Wolverine first started joining the X-Men, I think he had this whole bad boy image like i don't trust anybody especially like professor x was the guy that had the hardest time mm-hmm. um getting through to him and i think maybe that was his his way of saying like this is why he doesn't trust someone he, like he doesn't okay, remember yeah. why but it's in his subconscious the um the scene that i was talking about where uh, the professor is starting to lose it a little bit because he didn't know that wolverine or logan was a mutant so it's kind of causing havoc to their experiment and they're trying to compensate and he occasionally leaves the room to talk to someone on a private line <laughs> and you don't know who it is. Um, but he like, at one point he accidentally does it essentially while on speakerphone to the whole room and Cornelius and Heinz are like, who's he talking to? And there are one point in the book where they develop this tool where he essentially can control Logan through speech. So he has like this little speaker, this like Jabra headset. And so he like, um, he like tries it out. He's like, Cornelius is like, yeah, exactly like that. And uh, professor essentially just like starts talking. He's like, you're an animal, Logan, you're mine. You're, you're, I'll, you'll do whatever I say. You're, you're nothing without me. And, and Cornelius is like, it's not on yet. professor is like humiliated accidentally by cornelius that happens several times but you get to see professor unwind pretty much where he loses control he he kind of just goes crazy towards the end of the book where he can't control logan he can't control cornelius and all hell breaks loose it's interesting because it didn't really have to be a wolverine book like you he could have just told a story about somebody that had this experiment done to them and they just escape i mean it's a pretty simple plot if you think about it um or if you just summarize it you could do it in two sentences where a guy gets captured and they do an experiment on him and he breaks free uh, and he kills everybody in the process and i've heard it like kind of described as like a horror movie and i guess to some degree that is but i appreciate it a lot more just because it is wolverine and he was always that character i think that i gravitated to because it wasn't like he is I mean, he is invul- um, impervious and stuff, but he there's this vulnerability to him that 
emotionally that separated him from, let's say, a bad guy who just goes around killing people. He had he carried this weight of always something in his past that happened to him. And he's done some things that he's not proud of, but it always affected him. And that's what separated him, I think, from like a villain. And it comes out in this because he even though he's like an animal, they, they say like they strip him down, he becomes an animal. He doesn't kill. He's not trying to kill Cornelius and he's not trying to kill Heinz. He has a moment where he could kill her. And he's not trying to. He's really just after the professor. He knows he's the one that he is behind all of this. And that's like his main target. He might take out some other people in the process, but he's really just trying to kill the professor. I, the one thing that I, I'm always confused about on this story, um, as it progresses, maybe like halfway or three quarters of the way through, he kind of breaks loose of their control during the process and goes after all of them. And he kills Cornelius. He... Uh, professor kind of throws Heinz at him as bait in this like adamantium reactor (laughs) and he eventually gets after and kills professor but like right after that it's revealed that this was like a training simulation or a dream state where they put wolverine in but there's still like bodies around like i think he even walks through like professor's corpse do you remember how you interpreted that like i i still find it very confusing because they only really vaguely allude to it like oh he he thought he did it but it he didn't you know he didn't fall for the trick or whatever my one gripe with this book is how it ends because that does not make sense to me at the end it had a perfect ending because yeah. he, he regains consciousness and you hear thoughts of what he just went through and he kind of has this soliloquy going into the woods and way where you haven't heard his thought the entire time and then you're right, it comes back um, and he's back in the woods and it's just like a quick two page. He comes back, he opens the door and he kills him again. Mm-hmm. And the trade we have isn't separated by issues. It's just kind of like one continuous book. So I always thought that was just an alternate ending. I thought it was an alternate ending. And then there was another, yeah, because you don't even know when the simulation started because Cornelius even references... Oh, that was that was uh, such a great ad lib that you did, Professor, when you were talking to the mysterious voice on the other line. Like, oh, that was so smart of you. And then I was thinking, like, well, wow, how long did like what was real and what's not? Which you could say that you're kind of with Wolverine at that point because the Weapon X program like altered his memories, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't even know what was real. What was cool about Wolverine was like this mystery. You kind of make this history about him. And it's going to tell this story and it does it so well. Not only that, it adds to the mystery. It adds like it tells the story, but it just gives you more questions. And but it's super satisfying. This is like the perfect way to give an origin to a hero. There's no there's no costume. He's naked the whole time. I mean, he's vulnerable. Nude. He totally says something. Nude. I mean, his his dialogue is bookend. It's really in the beginning. And then at the end, you do not even know what he's thinking about the whole time. He's just really tortured. One of the most powerful scenes is when. They hook him up to see what his what he's feeling psychologically, I think. And visually, they wanted to know. It's so super weird. But he, they get some feedback and he you kind of see what he's feeling. And it's like this abstract uh, skeleton. There's spikes coming out of him and his eyes are all messed up. And you get like this. It's like a Frida Kahlo painting of what he's feeling inside himself. And they can visually see that which I always thought was super powerful. The art in this book was if you're like ever drawing or something and, and you want to be like an artist and you take these classes, they say you have to learn how to figure draw, you should do this. And I think like as a teenager, especially growing up with a lot of the other comics, um, you kind of like, like my thing was like Ninja Turtles. I'd be like, I don't need to know. 
anatomy. <laughs> I'm going to draw Ninja Turtles, just take a shell off as a human being. Whatever. You were Adam like, knows. Barry Windsor Smith can't teach me anything. I don't need to know anything about that. <laughs> well, this was before that. And then when I opened up this comic, um, the mo- one of the most – my favorite panel, I think, in this book is he's just naked, slumped over in a chair. And there was like his, his foot – on the floor. Yeah, I, know. I was I was waiting for the time to say how well drawn his feet are in these scenes, and it was like the most awe inspiring <laughs> drawing of a foot ever. It dogs. really was. But you open up like a Raphael Renaissance painting, and this is how it's done. And I was, and then finally, like clicked. I'm like, this is what people are talking about. They're also talking about how Logan should have just hit up half double design for some kind of crocheted sock or blanket to cover up his well drawn feet, real quick. Amanda has a brand new storefront being updated on Etsy that's linked to in the show notes. And not only that, dear listener, she set up a special promotion just for listeners of this show to get you 20% off your next order. This is not a joke. I don't joke about this. Use code podcast at checkout on Amanda's Etsy store to get 20% off or just use the special half double design link in the show notes to automatically add the code to your cart. I'm not joking about this. If you don't see something in the store, use the custom order button to reach out to Amanda, just like zombie pathetic Logan and Weapon X should have. 20% off, use code PODCAST on Amanda's Etsy store, link below. She's waiting to hear from you. And this is what Barry Windsor Smith got so, I think, upset about because he knows how to draw anatomy and guys like, Rob Liefeld at the time was drawing hoofs for feet and like hiding them behind, <laughs> hiding them behind random bushes and and making more money than he ever saw in his life. So how great of, was how great was that quote that I pulled from that interview? <laughs> Let me see if I can pull it up. It's so so crazy. If you ever want to not read comics again, read Barry Windsor Smith talking about comic books because he just makes you feel so stupid for liking anything in comics. Like I mean, his quote is. I mean, this is how you tear down a human being. The quote is, this is Barry Windsor Smith on Rob Liefeld. Rob Liefeld has nothing to offer. It's as plain as bacon on your plate. He has nothing to offer. He cannot draw. He cannot write. He is a young boy almost, I would expect, whose culture is bubblegum wrappers, Saturday morning cartoons, Marvel comics. That's his culture. And he goes on to say that uh, somebody was at his house and came back with a report. There is not a single book in his house, only comic books. I see nothing in his work that allows me to even guess that there's any depth involved in that person that might come to the fore given time. <laughs> I'm like, oh my god! I, I would, I would think too if I was someone at like the artistry level of Barry Windsor Smith, I would probably be perturbed too to see like what's on the stands. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm putting out. Yeah. This amazing work, and look at what's out there that's selling like hotcakes. It probably was. It probably just like would beat a person down. Yeah, I mean, I wondered even this was probably he's worked. I don't know if he's difficult. Maybe he just he just worked on like maybe every single book in in the Marvel universe, and like only a couple issues, like one one and done. I, I mean, he did Conan forever, but other than that, he would do like that one Fantastic Four. He'd do an X Men here and there. He did Life Death. Some of the stuff is pure genius. Though, mm-hmm. and I Life think death, the greatest single issue X Men comic <laughs> book of all time. Well, I think he became like so disenfranchised with work for hire that like he became the artist's artist, and you know would would be so like I think because he had that falling out with Valiant, yeah, where he was like you know director of 
of something creative director at Valiant and they were going to change to work for a hire and he, you know, quit on the spot because he didn't believe in it. And I, I, I probably why he drifted into his own thing doing, you know, who knows what he's doing now. He's in the woods somewhere. And that I remember. So when this came out, I was like, I got to find more from this guy. This is brilliant stuff. And he was doing the Valiant kick like initiation or some of the first books like Archer and Armstrong and XO Man of War. And I don't know if it was just because he was cranking out. I mean, he talks, he brags how he would crank out like 32 pages a month, but it was not, I wanted him to be my guy for so long, but it was just not the same. Um, I mean, the, the basics are there, but it, it felt, it felt rushed. Like weapon X felt like something he take as much time as you want and do whatever you want. And the stuff of Valiant was not like the same energy that was behind image. Let's say they had all the, the ball was in their court and I just couldn't get into it. And I've since like gone back and tried to like pick up certain things that he's done. And this is by far the best. I, I don't know. This was like lightning in a bottle to me. I think every, the only other per the thing about <laughs> this book too, that, that resonated with me again in this epilogue that Larry Hammett points out was that he did, and you talked about it earlier, he did every single facet of this book. He wrote it, he drew it, he colored it, and he inked it. And like some of the lettering of the sound effects he did. And that to me was just like, this is unbelievable that one person can really make something so amazing, such a, like an amazing art form. It yeah. was like a movie by one person. Yeah, there was, um, there was a really cool quote in that one long form interview uh, where he talks about different um different talents doing different things in comic books whether it be drawing or writing or artwork or um inking and he says about how difficult it can be and he has this quote he says just because a guy can drive a car 200 miles per hour at the indianapolis raceway doesn't mean he can fly a plane at 200 miles an hour <laughs> and i thought it was like such a great analogy and quote like but he can pretty much do it all yeah. and we saw it in weapon x and Eventually, he did his own thing, and he did Rune for Malibu, and then that had, like, a terrible falling out. And I think he's been working on, like, one specific story for for years, Monster, but as far as I'm aware, he hasn't done anything outside of maybe, like, a variant for Marvel in the last, like, 10 years, where, like, when Grant Morrison was doing New X-Men, he was doing variants and stuff. But When you read that interview, it was interesting how he talked about he stepped away from comics for a while. And kind of lost his comics sixth sense, let's say. He came back to it and, and was just like, this looks like garbage. It, everything just is like <laughs> yeah, a bunch of weird colors that don't mean anything to each other. There's no synchronicity to anything. And he talks about, he even when he was working on Weapon X, he had a girlfriend that was an artist too. And he handed it to her and she was like, how do you, what is going on? Like, how do you read this? Which I think is weird. And I wondered like, if it's, if it, is it because we've just been reading comics our whole life and never stepped away? Maybe to somebody else, it's like a weird issue to. Or yeah, weird I like. I something. liked hearing him talk about how like people in his life didn't even know how to read a comic book. They made. <laughs> yeah, and like we think it's so easy to read. And then also in that conversation, um, we should mention it's. I think it was from the Comics Journal. Yes. Um, maybe around ninety-seven or something. Um, but he they're talking about how he left and came back, and he thinks it's all trash, and he thinks like all the main Marvel artists are just kind of like Sal Buscema ripoffs or something along those lines. And he talks about how he's making his own book. That's just like, looks like Conan 
which will get people to buy it, but it's not. It's like humorous or something. And he, and yeah. I Gary Groth, um, he was he hated <laughs> the comics industry at the time too. I think he, yeah, he was. You know, they're very cynical in this interview. Um, but he talks about how like you know he it might sell a hundred thousand copies but he'd be happy with fifty thousand and fifty thousand now that'd be like top top ten like right. people books don't even get canceled until they hit like maybe ten thousand thirteen thousand maybe mm. um but yeah just just a fascinating i mean all these conversations are like a fascinating time capsule about various periods of the comic industry and i mean how in print there's like so low such low numbers um but yeah, it was super fascinating to see him, intellectual, in a way, um, view the the industry. But did you keep up with Wolverine after that? Did you always buy um, Absolutely. the monthlies? I mean, I, yeah, I was in Larry Hammer's. That was going on at the same time. And in, um, I think the artist was Adam Kubert at the time, and who, mm. was, who was maybe the second best, let's say, Wolverine artist. Oh, and, gosh. He just couldn't. It wasn't the same. Like I don't like when they they do throwbacks to the Weapon X stuff. Do you remember they um, Sylvester? It was earlier than that. I think like forty six or forty seven was like they built as like the follow up to Weapon X, and yeah, fifty was like the big one where he fought the this like machine that Weapon X had built to kill their experiments called Shiva, and that was the one with like the the claws in the cover. But Professor shows up in that one. Heinz shows up in that one. When he showed up in the Weapon X building, they had all these sets there, like his high school yeah. oh, prom yeah. and the house that he had with Silver Fox. So they like made him second guess all his memories and what was real, what wasn't real. Yeah. Um, the stuff I didn't like so much was the Team X stuff, like the Silver Fox. Um, Silver Fox was like revealed to be someone that was like working in Hydra. And like not just a former potential lover that was murdered by Sabretooth. It got kind of too comic booky. Like I wish they would have just left that stuff alone. But overall, it was it was interesting to see that stuff crop up. At least at that time. Later, they kind of just ruined everything. We kind of joke about it with my family. You saw the movie. Like this was like I don't know. I don't know what movie you're talking. Yeah, about. exactly. Doesn't I just count. pretend like it didn't. I walked out. <laughs> What about all these uh, drawings you're putting up about MIA num- number two? When's MIA number two coming out? God, it takes forever, man. Um, it was going to be... The, you know what they call you? They call you the Barry Windsor Smith of Florida. <laughs> you guys aren't worthy enough for what I'm... I'm waiting for the industry to catch up. <laughs> so how, ma- how many pages are you into uh, the second issue now? We're on 23. Page 20. Of? of it's going to be 20... <laughs> it's gonna be like 26 oh is, boy yeah it's almost done how long does it take you to finish one page of a comic book let's see it's about a month's worth of lunch <laughs> in the car <laughs> uh, i don't know i think i started and this guy i mean maybe i hate barry windsor smith for infecting me with that that desire to make a comic all by myself but mm-hmm. he um I think when like I was in 
college, I was making comics, I guess, like everybody I think was like when they were in high school. And then I was really serious about, um, they had a Joe Huber school of comics, something or other in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, I think it is. And I, wizard magazine had it, it featured in one of their number 44 in their magazine. It was up on my wall forever. And I always thought like, that would be really cool to like go to school to learn to be a comic artist. And I think at the time, like when it came to graduation, my dad worked at a college so it was easy to, I get to go there tuition for free. So it's mm. hard to, hard deal to pass up. And I remember saying like, look, I, there's a school that maybe I was like 16 at the time school for comic books. And they're like, not, not that my parents weren't supportive, but they're like, yeah, you can do that. You're going to go if you want to be a comic book artist. And then I, in high school, I took like pre-college classes in New York city for, at the school of visual arts. And I was, I got in actually on like a comic I made. And what was I it called? It was called <laughs> it's called The Punks with an X. Super mm. super nineties. Mm-hmm. It was my friends and I got powers, same way like Weapon X did, and, and people are hunting us down, they wanted those powers back. So I got in and I thought I could it would be really cool to go to school for I was way into movies at the time too, like movies or comics. But it was like the comic industry at the time was sort of like Marvel was bankrupt at the time and and image like came off its high it there wasn't really any um future it didn't seem like in comics not that i didn't believe in it but it was really like i didn't believe in myself because i would have been like not really the best one there and it would have, like destroyed me and i was like somebody gave me like the bad advice like you could just go do whatever and do comics like on your own You'll, you can still do it it doesn't mean you're not an artist <clears throat> And that man was Barry Windsor Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I just kind of drift, like, did it on the side, like, my whole life. And then, you know, 20 years go by. And um, I think, like, and essentially, I, I always wanted to have, like, a wife and kids. That was the main goal. And being a comic artist maybe wasn't, like, the easiest way to make that happen. So when I was able to accomplish that, I sort of said, well, maybe I'll go back. And what's the, like, the regret I'll have, like, if I die one day? And it's maybe not just putting out a comic, putting myself out there. Um, and maybe like Barry Windsor Smith, I'm my own worst enemy, man, because <laughs> no one's going to stop me more than myself. So do you bring your like, uh, tablet? What do you, what do you draw on? In yeah. Your car? What I'm talking on you right now is this, uh, Surface Pro. I think a lot of people Look use like out, Surface Pro. Yeah. It, a lot of people use like Cintiqs and stuff, but I, I love like the ink and on bristle board, but it just kind of, it was really hard to kind of like transport all that all the time mm-hmm. i would bring this like to work and like take a comp <laughs> i'd reserve a conference room like pretend i'm having a meeting and whip this thing out by my <laughs> there and try to draw a comic what was the decision making when you were younger you said you were like 16 or 18 um between comics and the home movies you've been posting <laughs> on instagram stories because i feel like there was something there's something there in those because you put a lot of work into making those home movies that wasn't just some kind of like rando hobby that looked like that could have been another path you might have taken it's funny like chuck (laughs) chuck actually asked me can you send me the stop animation which i was like super honored because he just wanted to see it Uh um and he sent me something back really nice like i can't believe you took the time to do that and i said something like you know i think i was just always bored all the time and thank god there wasn't like awesome video games or Twitch or something like that back then, because I probably maybe never would have had the time to do that. Um, but yeah, I was way into movies and, and making with a camcorder, but not really like, 
learning too well. And that's why, like, I took that class at School of Visual Arts and it, it kind of, you had to shoot on Super 8 and you had to splice it and you had to edit it. And I mean, I thought about it, but again, like I said, I'm, you know, I'm not good enough to, everybody wants to make movies. Like there's nothing special about you where you want to make it. Oh my God. It's depressing. <laughs> so <when> I, <laughs> yeah, but, Mikey P, there's nothing I mean, special about yeah. you. <laughs> where were Slim, where were you 20 years ago? <laughs> I needed you at the time. But like, so, but like going back and I digitized them just for fun. And I got such a, like an overwhelming reaction to him. I, I was telling, tell people like in these movies, you know, we're coming up on 25 years of these dumb things. You know, it'd be cool is just to like get together <laughs> and watch these movies. And it's turned into, we're going to rent like a local theater. We're going to rent limousines. <laughs> We're going to have this whole event. We're going to have a screening for the 25th anniversary of these these dumb, like the dumb movie we did was The Hunter, which was uh-huh. just basically like The Predator. And we're going right. to we're going to have like a marathon of The, of the Hunter. I, and like you guys were filling me up like they're great. I interviewed Ghost Hunter Dave, a mutual friend of ours. And he was telling me he project yeah. get known project unknown comics.com. <laughs> so he was saying like how, yeah, yeah, same thing. I was way into movies, too. And yeah, we did this premiere. We had like any. And we had a premiere. We had like 50 people on set and I edited it. And and he was like, and that, like he lived it. And he said everything that like I was going for back then. And he like did it. And I felt like a, an idiot. Like, yeah, hell, I filmed some stuff on like a camcorder. Um, but he had like he had he's been putting up on YouTube now, like these amazing like movies with like special effects and lighting and stuff like that. And I'm like, what were we doing? I think everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you even keep? uh the home movies that you made with your family when you were a kid like i me and my buddies used to film wrestling videos but those things are probably gone uh, and like you know in someone's trash can right now we used to film wrestling videos all the time all right you have two assignments you have to find the letter you sent to lucas films and you have to find these wrestling movies i, th- I think we had them on beach i preserved them those were like one Weapon Jeez. X trade and these tapes were the <laughs> those are the prize two possessions. Things that you saved. Yeah. What did you even edit them on? Like, how did you even edit those together? I, I was like, my mind was blown. Was it like the original iMovie or something? Slim. It was okay. This is what we're gonna do in the scene. Film. Okay, cut. Now the next scene. That's the next scene. <laughs> so, like one take, Wilson. Pretty much, hopefully. And if, yes, if you mess up, I don't have any ability to edit this. So you have to get it right the first time. We practice it. You get it wrong, it's staying in the movie. You need to have that screening so we can all, hopefully, maybe we can all try to win tickets to go to the screening. The Hunter, 2020, it's happening. <laughs> James Cameron shows up, Arnold. Yeah, so I'm making up for lost time, I think, with a lot of these things. Well, you talked about um, interviewing uh, Ghost Hunter Dave for <laughs> Project Unknown, Get Known, projectunknowncomics.com. What was, the, what was the impetus to start the interview series for that because i well the one thing i noticed is that you did the interview with dave um who does the youtube channel imperious rex with troy to the max extreme um you recorded that and i was fascinated i was like well i wonder what he used to record that uh interview for transcription and i was like super fascinated in the details but we can get to that in a second but like (laughs) what's the main goal of your interview series on that website i think um, when I started trying to make a comic, let's say, um, I mean, like I'm pushing 40 now and it seems a little weird for somebody with like another, uh, like a career they worked on to kind of go back and make comics, let's say. And so I remember searching the internet for people 
like me, I guess, in the same boat. Just because, um, just to find other tips like how they're doing or they must get discouraged even or something like that. And mm-hmm. there's great resources out there like Jim Zub, let's say, is a great guy that he was like an independent guy for years and he's like really made it. But he puts a lot of information out there for people who want to get in the business, let's say, or just make a comic. And for me, mm-hmm. it's really just making this, like just to tell the story that's in me. Um, but like I didn't really find anything that I was looking for and I thought I could just like talk to people um and see like what they do like i know there's other people out there that don't even get the opportunity to talk about what they're like it takes a while to get interviewed or to have like a body of work to get interviewed by somebody and to talk about it and even if it's not like great it's nothing like like i'm not happy with it and i know like a lot of the people like i interviewed they're not this isn't like their weapon x let's say but it's just the whole i guess culture of just the independent scene of just trying to make it or just trying to get something out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I'll pick up things from everybody else that I interview that helped me, I think create too. And I think by putting it out there, I think helps other people if they were reading it. I also like just love interviewing people, I think. And I just wanted to figure out a way to channel that, I guess it is super fun. Like it, as soon as it gets like trying, I think I'm not going to do it anymore, but I've, like I said, I picked up something from everybody's been interviewed and like people are like super cool about it. There's some people that like fall through. I think they realize it's not really like a main site or anything like that. Piece but it's a garbage <laughs> name to call them out right now. What are their names? I'll tell you off air. So what did you use to record uh, that, that interview with uh, ghost hunter Dave? <laughs> I think I, that- I used, I used uh, two things actually. I had a, um, I, I'll give you, it's just like a little voice recorder. It's supposed to be for like colleges where you put it down and you can mm. just listen back. And then the other thing was my phone. And I used both, thank God, because my phone kicked out at one point. Oh. Um, but like, and <laughs> to his credit too, he's super cool with it. But we were just like talking and I said, like, I'm going to interview you. But when we were talking, I just put it on. Like, I didn't even tell him it was, it was. Uh, Is that legal uh, in Florida? Uh, yeah, you can do whatever you want in Florida. They hand you guns <laughs> at the airport here and stuff. But he was super cool. I said, by, I let him know afterwards. I, he's like, you want to do start the interview now? Like we hung out all day. He's like, are we going to talk about this interview? I was like, ah, I've been doing it this whole time. Man. Um, but that's a really cool way to, I think, talk to somebody is over audio. Like I'm the worst person to talk to, I think. But I don't think that's true. Do you ever like get in conversations with people where you kind of wish they were recorded? Like it's super like it's, this is a great conversation. I wish I was recording right now. Well, I think a lot of times I think that comes across in some of the interviews I do with people and like my history of podcasting. That's why I kind of always say save it for the show. And that's become like an inside joke with people like where they try to tell me about something like with paper keg. I would always say like, I don't, I don't want to hear what you have to say until we're recording. Um, like I don't want to, I don't, I want to experience what you have to say on in podcast form. Like I didn't want to have to like, um, Recreate. react to anything they had to say unless it was recorded. So like that, we did that all the time on paper keg. We do that. <laughs> um on like the work stuff but that's i feel like probably to my detriment where a lot of the conversation like real human conversations i have are like only in podcast form where i've been like accustomed to only having in-depth conversations in front of a microphone where like sometimes i (laughs) feel like talking to people like if it's if we're just like a regular setting i'll just be like yeah whatever I was actually thinking about that uh, like a month, uh, like the last month, but how I've been like focused myself to have 
in-depth conversations only in a podcast. <laughs> that makes sense. I followed Howard Stern forever for my whole year, like his whole career. And he always talked about later on how it was anything that happens in the news, whatever. Don't talk to me on the walk in. Like we're, <laughs> we're going to sit down right, and talk and react to whatever. Because it's a raw emotion, I think, too, when you get it for the first time on, on tape. It's the mm-hmm. same with like pictures, I guess. Like we we hung out and we want to like take pictures of everything, and it's hard to experience something and be like, God, this is amazing right now. I wish I had a photograph of it right now. What was your What was your dad's job at the uh, college? He was a was the he dean. Still is the director of libraries. So get out. Yeah, he was always into art though and film. Like he taught a Stanley Kubrick film class for like just for fun on the side, and mm. he was always photographing. So he sort of, um kind of i guess i was just used to like a father let's say figure like always photographing things and documenting things so i think it kind of carried with me throughout the years Mm. Uh, my wife later on like when i was taking that college class they taught you how to like expose to like where they you know f-stops and shutter speed and things like that and it translates into a camera pretty easy the the college i ended up going to wasn't uh, my degree wasn't in in art at all but they had a really great art program and so I kind of continued some of the things I was going to do anyway, which is like um, figure drawing. And I had an art teacher was way into like I had to take a whole semester or a whole year of like women in art history and stuff like that. And I had a photography teacher. So then like I met my wife later on and she she had like a real inclination to want to always photograph and do it the right way. And like she was a high school teacher and she said, like, I want to why don't you teach me everything about photography? And maybe I start like this friend of ours wants to me to shoot their wedding and stuff like that. And so I, okay, we started doing that for fun. And then it's, she created like a whole business that we do on the, like her job right now as a photographer from the stuff like I taught her in the beginning, but she like took it and ran. Like she taught herself everything. Oh, about the industry. I, did, I had no idea that it started that way. I thought like she was the photographer and you like, you know, picked it up to help her. That's fascinating. No, yeah. And I think a lot of the stuff was, um, you know, from those days of shooting, like my friends, let's say, in in, in the woods, let's say, um, was like following around people and documenting what they're doing that. I mean, it's been we started in 2009. So it's like nine years now. And um, it's really kind of the one of the first weddings we did. Somebody said she pulled me aside. She's like, I've worked with my husband for whatever, 50 years. Let me tell you something. There's nothing better for, for your marriage than to work together. And I thought she was full of it, but it- <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because you hear like literally any counselor will say the exact opposite. Never go into business with your spouse. <laughs> I'll say like, it's amazing though. It really is good to get to see her and that, and just kind of like control a room and some of the stuff she does is amazing. So yeah, she's a fantastic photographer. You both are. You're both uh, extremely talented. Thank you. I mean, I think that's a, going back to the interview, too. It's a lot of, I think, kind of uh, maybe where I picked it up because I would walk into all these situations of like a bunch of dudes that maybe knew each other their whole life. And just to get them to like you enough to t- let them take your photograph, some of them like end up becoming friends and stuff like that. But she, but I would hit them up with like 20 questions, I guess, before I started even taking a picture just to get them comfortable. Mm. and that to me it's a lot of fun like that's more fun to me at this point than like the actual photography is getting to meet people and that's why i always ask you because like i've had some or i just asked you that question just because i've had conversations with people who talk about love let's say or i meet the father of the bride or something like that and they give you these 
kind of stories that are amazing that I'm like, God, I wish that was like recorded right now, or I wish I had this videoed or something. And it's almost like a curse. So you just want everything like recorded for posterity. Sounds like a good podcast series. That (laughs) interviewing people on wedding days. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's true. Come with me, bro. I had had one of my ideas um, when I, before I started this, I was like thinking of like what, what kind of like isn't done now. And I, I thought about like just randomly interviewing people on Craigslist for <laughs> interviews <laughs> just to see like what kind of interview came out of those. <laughs> and if they were like, like j- interviewing just like strange, essentially interviewing strangers, like not knowing anything about them and seeing what you were able to pull out of it. Um, and s- you could probably pull out like an amazing, it was hit or miss. I mean, you're probably going to have some interviews where nobody wants to talk to you, but mm-hmm. I had the same thought where you could just walk up to, <laughs> your OTF coach. (laughs) Right. Well, I think this podcast is unique in that. It's like a smaller sphere of people in like, it's, it's like, there aren't many podcasts out there that the people that are interviewed aren't pitching a product that is like integral to their growth or their life. Um, you know, and like most of the popular interview conversation podcasts out there, they're generally pitching something or they're like their notoriety is such that you will listen to it regardless. So like that, that was kind of like the main thing. I wanted to see if I could have these conversations with people and make people seek them out no matter what, like that, that they would eventually get at the end of the interview was, was something that they weren't expecting or something they didn't assume that they were going to get out of it. Um, so hope, I, th- I think I've kind of done that so far. Um, but I think that's a, that's a unique, it's not, well, I don't want to say it's unique, but it's, it's a harder thing to, to get people to try. You know, while you were talking, I had the thought, like, even if it was somebody that is pretty famous, you can get on not to say who it is until like the end and have them, like if you interview somebody that we all know, but they're talking about something obscure that, that yeah. they love. And not to even talk about who they are. The email that you sent where you did rattle off some names that are on like a list that I have of like, remember to try to reach out and contact or get a contact for this person. Oh, because I think even if they're a known in some way, shape or form person, they're going to be talking about something that hopefully they don't get the opportunity to talk about a lot Yeah. so that you get that kind of like window into something that you wouldn't see like on their regular show or like an interview that they've done a hundred times or, or what have you. So I th- yeah. like those, those kind of conversations are interesting to me, which is why I kind of try to do them. Yeah, no, that's a great way to get people to talk, even though like I talked about something I loved and I feel like I didn't do it justice at all, but I guess <laughs> well, I think that's one of the main, that's one of the main trepidations people have. Yeah. Uh, like several people that have been on the show <laughs> don't like second guess themselves because well, like, well, I'm not an expert on that. Yeah. yeah. Like, I kind of don't want to talk about it. Um, but well, I just for the record, like, I know everything about Weapon X. I might not have said it, but I know everything. About it. <laughs> but I think that that kind of conversation is endearing um, to hear someone talk about something that they're, you know, they're they're in love with, or they're it's one of their favorite things. I think that that it's infectious, mm-hmm. and I think that connects with people in a different way as opposed to hearing someone who's an expert on a subject. Um, I mean, they're both listenable, obviously, but I think they're, they connect in different ways. Are you able to listen to somebody that where there's a topic that you have absolutely no interest in or you would interview someone if it was like the one the one that I did with my friend Ariel from Vice, 
like that one was like I was like super nervous about even like reading that book. I was like I literally I had no desire to read that book. I never would have read that book. Dunked in wood. <laughs> the dunked in wood, dunked yeah. In wood. Which took me like weeks to finish, it felt like. Um but I but it sounds corny to say, but I felt like I connected with her in a way that I otherwise would never have. Mm. And having like discussions about something that she was so passionate about and like a topic that impacted her childhood growing up. I feel like that creates like a connection between her and I that we never would have had if otherwise just like meeting each other for lunch in New York every so often and checking in. Was that an idea too? Like this is going to help me grow as a human being. Like I'm never going to read this book or but it's I'm going to expand my horizons as, as uh, an, uh, a 30 something year old man. Well, yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I think that as we get older, we like, segment ourselves into our own echo chambers where I never would experience a book like that, or I would never have a conversation about something that's so new to me that I never would have tried. And I had a conversation with my brother. It just, it kind of talked about, and I think I talked about this with Kara a little bit, but like just watching movies about that have like some kind of historical accuracy, but like how often do you ever, you know, read about a war um, that took place like 200 years ago? Like, People like us, like I'm saying, people like us, like a segment of adults in the world, don't research history anymore. Like, it should it unless, should. like, if if it's not like in a BuzzFeed article, how many people are going to remember that like New France was a thing that was in the in North America for a period of time, like yeah. or like the Seven Years' War. Like, when was mm-hmm. the last time any of the people listening to this podcast read about that? <laughs> <laughs> like, honestly, and. I feel like that has a beneficial impact in mm-hmm. 10 years ago, five years ago, two years ago, I would have said, I don't care. But I, <laughs> but I think that it's a, it's a net positive That's true. Um, for even for doing the interview for myself selfishly, but hopefully that reflects on the people listening too. Yeah. It's great too. Cause you get people from different backgrounds, let's say too, that you didn't grow up in. Um, mm-hmm. When I was growing up, like my stepfather, He's from Egypt. And so in 94, my mom, um, like we knew him for a long time, but it was it was kind of amazing to get to interview. It was really like an interview a lot for me where you would just ask him a million questions about where they grew up and what the government was like or what the religion was like. Mm-hmm. And to have like some sort of experience I never would have got. Not that it was forced upon me, but it, I mean, it was something that um, came into our life. And it kind of like enriched you a little more because, um, I mean, like I'm from New York, but it was like a town where everybody was Italian, Irish and blue collar kind of town. And you just would have grown up, you know, until I got into college with the same sort of like people around me my whole life and didn't really expand my horizons at all. I, I harp on, I don't harp on it, but like I promote the daily so often right. about just learning I mean, it just boils down to learning yeah. like every day, like you learn something, like even a, a conversation about like what you just described, like I would listen to a 20, 30 minute interview just about that. Like, oh, like I have no idea about anything that you just said, but now I've become educated in that. And, you know, you just learn just I, I feel like there's just not enough learning as we get older. And that's the tape I got to find, too. I did interview him for some college pro- uh, high school project I had where I had to interview him about something uh, like where how he grew up and it was like with the video camera and everything so i should find that at least for our family at least and mm-hmm. digitize that for all time start start the uh 
Barry Windsor Smith of Southern Florida podcast. <laughs> well, <laughs> bits and pieces of audio. Secret recordings too. Like my in-laws are, they, they're Cuban and they escaped during, before and after, during the Mar- Mariel. And so they'll like, we'll uh, be at random dinners every like four months and they'll just drift off into a story. And I put my phone on the table. They don't know it's recorded. Hopefully they're not listening <laughs> to this. But and I really do it for the kids, not only for the kids, just to hear their grandparents, like an amazing story, but just to mm-hmm. hear like an amazing story about an immigrant coming to another, another country. Well, would you ever, would you ever want to do a podcast interview series? I think absolutely. Like, what you, I, like yeah. I, but I would like, I, Going back to the Ghost Hunter Dave, let's say, I love it up until I hear – and I'm not trying to be like humble or something, but when I talk, it's, I would really have to concentrate on how I'm talking. Like you were – you ha- your rhythm is majestic and you, <laughs> you're able – no, I'm saying you have the the podcast voice. I actually thought about for the Dave Ghost Hunter Dave, let's say, putting it out there along with what you can read and it just – not number one, the audio is is terrible, but – Sometimes I'm saying something and even I don't even know what I'm saying. So <laughs> it, it takes a, a certain set of skill to really be really good at this, which you have. And something like I'm not like I know I'm not going to have it, but like I can ask good questions and be engaging. But like I don't think I have the voice for it or like the patience to even now have to go through and edit this mm. uh, hour and 20 minute conversation we had where I mumbled through Weapon X. <laughs> And probably made right. a lot. Who, know, of who knows what the final uh, timestamp is going to be for this? Episode. Exactly. We could be we could be at minute thirty right now for people listening up. in Let's the app. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean that's a hard that's hard too. You, like sometimes you have to cut things out, or I, I edit the final episodes a ton. Like it's, I try to tell people like when, before we interview, like don't worry about awkward pauses, don't worry about any awkward moments. Like it's going to be gone in the final episode. And I think, I don't even know how many people actually listen back to their interviews. Cause I, generally when I'm, if I've ever guessed it on a podcast, I probably don't ever listen to it just because I feel like, um, and I sound like a real jerk, but like, I feel like other people don't care as much as editing a, like a, a conversation in podcast form as much as I do. Like I'll spend two hours editing a 40 minute podcast down just because I, I hate like the, the awkward pauses or if a, an answer doesn't flow in right away or Skype maybe was troublesome. A lot of people just like leave it up there or they leave like someone asks a question. There's like a three second pause. Like, mm. you know, I, I feel like those are like this, the easiest things to fix and it's, it's time consuming for sure. Um, but I mean, these, these episodes are going to be out there for years. Might, you might as well um, put the time into, to make it sound as good as you can we gripe about it all the time. Some of the things we listen to and why wouldn't you take out when you were stumbling with your Skype for forever? Like, why would you right. take that? Why would you leave that in? And I think it changes too. Cause like I used to, when I used to do the interview series for comiXology, I would like record the beginning of the interview and I would like introduce the person. And now like, I can't stand that way to do an interview. Like when I listen to people that do that interview, like, I'm like, Oh my God, this is so awkward. And, it sounds weird. Like I would, I would do it the way I do it now. So who's to say like five years from now, I might have a different impression of how I did this show. Um, but it, it changes. Was there ever something anybody ever said that said, can we not put that out there? Like, I, I don't like what I said. Can you edit that part out? Cause I, um, I definitely want that out there. It's not, not that it's a hateful thing, but I said something about these kinds of people, let's say where 
before would you be like that's who you are man i'm leaving no, I, I think that's happened before in interviews but i i make like a mental note while when it happens mm-hmm. and then i snip it out and don't tell the person mm-hmm. just because i kind of would view whatever they said could be like interpreted the wrong way or it would paint them in like a negative light uh i just like i cut it out and most 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 times people don't like generally these episodes post like weeks after the interview takes place so people aren't going to remember <laughs> like verbatim what they said in some of these answers they're not even going to remember that i cut out 20% 30% or whatever hey, whatever where's that part that hate speech about the italians <laughs> i put in there man where is that <laughs> where where's that part where i did that italian impression for 20 minutes <laughs> why didn't that make the episode <laughs> But it's funny because the way the seasons have gone so far is I record like the first two episodes, maybe like a month or two in advance. Then I get down to like four weeks out. And then the end of the season, I crumble and something happens where like, like this episode we're recording probably two days before it's going to go up. Mm. Um, so then I'm kind of like what? down to the wire. I got I to gotta <laughs> listen back and tell you what to take out, bro. <laughs> And then match up the final product to see, <laughs> make sure nothing came out you didn't want out. I'm going to re-record like a great synopsis of Weapon X <laughs> for you to put in the beginning of this. Thanks to my dear friend, Mikey P, for coming on to talk about one of his and my favorite comic books. You can check out his interview series using the links in the show notes. And also buy his creator-owned comic books, too. I've officially fired up the original show email to hear from you. As I said on Twitter this week, use the email favespod, F-A-V-E-S-P-O-D, at gmail.com to let me know what you think of the show, favorite episodes, potential guests, topics, you name it. And I'll do a mailbag episode in the near future to go through them all. Also... Don't forget to check out my wife's new Etsy store and get that juicy 20% off coupon uh, using the special link in the show notes. Real quick, huge part of the success of this podcast uh, relies on you spreading the word to grow the community. So pause this episode right now. Text a friend who'd love this Weapon X episode or maybe loves cheese like last week's show or X-Files. And uh, send them a link to the show. I'll be your best friend forever. Goodbye.